the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host, Great to be with you today, this very hot day, I guess the beginning of a lot of hot days we're going to have here in Southern California as we head into our Labor Day weekend. I hope that you are doing well. Later this hour, my guest will be Christian recording artist Jordan Feliz. He'll be joining us and we'll be talking about uh, his family and we'll be talking about uh, a song, one of his uh, most popular songs, Jesus is Coming Back. And that's the name of his tour, Jesus is Coming Back Tour. He'll be here in Southern California in L.A. and San Diego. So we'll be talking to him here in just a few minutes this hour. You can join our conversation by calling us at 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. The email address, if you want to email me during the show, is SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Or if you want to email me not during the show, you can email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. As we begin this this episode today and thinking about the heat and thinking about some of the things that are in the news, I wanted to emphasize something, just that we are so blessed. We are so blessed to live in a part of the world where when it gets really hot and we have this kind of heat wave, our biggest problems might be that the state is telling us not to plug in our electric car. Our problem might be finding a place where there's good air conditioning. That's a real problem that I know many of you have, and I want you to be thinking about when we have this tremendous heat, your neighbors, your neighbors who may not have air conditioning, especially your elderly neighbors, and uh, take them. Take them to your house. Take them someplace, supermarket, someplace where there's air conditioning. Enjoy it. There are lots of places that open up and will welcome you if you just need to cool off a little bit. And uh, so keep that in mind. And um, you know what? Don't take things for granted. Do you ever go on a short-term mission trip? I highly recommend that everybody does this. There's a whole lot of reasons to do it. And go to a particularly impoverished country. Now, there's a lot of criticism of short-term missionary trips. I get that. And, and I've been a pastor for 25 years. And, you know, I've, I've definitely seen vacationaries, you know, where you're going someplace and you, you sort of do a mission trip for half a day, and then you enjoy staying at the Ritz-Carlton or wherever else because it's cheaper for two weeks. And then you come back and talk about the mission trip you're on. You know, there's not that you can't learn something for that, but it's more of a vacation where you happen to do a mission thing. And that's okay if that's what you're if that's if you're going on vacation and you say hey while we're there let's serve that's great uh, if you're telling everybody uh, hey uh, help me raise money for my mission trip and you're not really on a mission trip it's another thing and sometimes the the whole conversation about short term missions you know it has more to do with what I get out of it than it has to do with the people I was there to help and I understand that controversy however in 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 the short term mission it's in a way it kind of is about the person going on the mission and what you will learn and what God will actually do. Now, you're going to go and you're going to help people and you're going to participate, hopefully, in some kind of mission that is uh, connected to the local church or a long-term missionary who is there where you can actually build upon what's being done. That's good. Uh, 
And, you know, I'm highly in favor of church missions that are, if it's out of the country, if it's going someplace where what you do is you come to work for the local church in that country, where whatever it is that you're doing, you're not a bunch of, excuse me, a bunch of Americans coming by to tell everybody how it's done, and then you do something, and then you leave town, and then nobody knows what to do with the water tower that you built. And then it becomes, there's something called development monuments. You know what this is? It's when when nonprofit organizations, sometimes it's churches, but a lot of the time it has to do with big corporations that go in to do charity work. They'll go in and they'll build a water system, which is so desperately needed, or they'll build something important. And then they leave town with a lot of pomp and circumstance, and they put up a plaque and says, hey, this group of people came here and built this, and yay, good for us. And then it breaks down, and there's nobody there to fix it. And it's it's called a development monument. So imagine you're in a village that doesn't have clean water, and yet you have a modern water system, but there's nobody there who knows how to run it, and nobody there knows who to call to fix it. And then all you have is a monument. Uh, when you're doing this as a church, one of the important things to do is make sure that there are people there who know how to do it. And that's one of the great benefits of the local church is that we're really one church. And when we go someplace and really help out, we can leave it there with people who are in charge who are still uh, involved. And that's a really great way to do it. I encourage you to do that. I've been thinking about that today for a few different reasons, because if you've ever had the chance to go, you do learn a lot. And you find out that often the people who you're there to serve, they teach you a lot. They teach you a lot about faith. Uh, They teach you a lot about the world, and you learn things about the world. One of the things that I've learned, and I know that many of you have experienced this also, is I've learned that a lot of the stuff and the comforts that we have around us are very temporary, that there's not a lot of difference. Like, there's a lot of difference in the from the standpoint of how a country develops and, you know, the systems of, you know, electric grid and what that would do and what refrigeration does. Imagine if we didn't have refrigeration. That means there's no Costco, there's no frozen vegetable aisle, and uh, we'd be a lot more hungry. We couldn't sustain as many people, right? There are, there are very small things that make the difference in electricity and refrigeration. In particular, uh, the ability to have refrigeration in your house allows you to eat better, allows your family to eat better. And you learn things about this when you go to other countries where they don't have that. And you go, you know, when I was on this mission trip and somebody said, well, why don't they just put a Costco down here? Well, the reason they don't have a Costco is because there is no freezer in anybody's house to put all that chicken. You know, it's, it's not that you can't actually get all the food down there. It's that there's no way to preserve it long enough for people to eat it and feed as many people. So there's a whole lot of things that go like that are maybe you don't think about. I tend to think about how the the small things make a difference, like carpet. If you're going someplace where people don't really have very good homes, where there are, they're just kind of structures that are put up, maybe there's dirt floors. If there's any foundation at all, maybe you've got a concrete foundation, but most people just have dirt floor. And then you realize, though, while you're there, is that the difference between their house and yours is maybe some carpeting and some drywall and some air conditioning and the windows sort of work, but that's not a lot. And let me tell you what's been driving this for me today. The story in uh, Jackson, Mississippi of the water system failing. You follow that story a little bit today? Uh, The frail water system in Jackson, Mississippi buckled under the strain of a whole lot of issues. It's been going on for a long time and a lot of flooding has contributed to it recently. 
Today, 150,000 people are left without drinkable water for an undetermined amount of time, the official said. You know how sometimes we have, uh, a, you know, we've got some reason we've got to boil our water or we have the power go out, which we should be expecting probably this weekend uh, off and on. You know, we know that it's for a limited period of time and it can be painful. It can be painful when your refrigerator goes out, right? And you do have food spoil and stuff, but you're going to survive. When you have somebody say you don't have running water for this amount of time, the the governor of Mississippi said that this is you don't have enough water for drinking, you don't have enough water for flushing toilets, you don't have enough water really to do anything that you want to run water for, and it's for an undetermined amount of time. It's a major crisis, and that's happening right here in the United States, and that's shocking and it's appalling, frankly. That should not happen anywhere in the United States. It just shouldn't. And there's a whole lot of arguing about why this is happening. And you know, a whole lot of blame and a whole lot of accusation. There's And there's some conversation that needs to happen. You know, is this something that is related to long-term race relations of things that have happened in the South with white flight? And then why is this system not being replenished? How much do you blame the local officials? How much do you blame state officials, federal officials? There's a lot of blame to go around for it. The governor of Mississippi declared a state of emergency and uh, warning the residents that they're just not going to have this water. The mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, Chakwayanter Lumumba, asked the state for help and is saying, hey, you know what, we are worthy of having drinking water. That is for sure. There's lots of blame to go around. There's something that he said that I appreciated about this, though, with a lot of the, you know, election year stuff going on and a lot of the heightened conversation. This is what the mayor of Jackson said. ...of years and years of accumulated problems, uh, challenges that we have been lifting up uh, for the better part of, of you know, three to four years. Uh, you know, I've been saying that it's not a matter of if our system would fail, but when our system would fail. Uh, I can remember as far back as 1988 when my family moved to Jackson uh, and the problems that we had with our water system at that time. Uh, and so it's been an underinvestment into this system. Uh, and I think that there's, you know, there's, you know, a little bit to be shared across the board uh, through leadership on every level. Uh, and so we have to have a unified front that we're going to work together and make sure that, that these challenges are met. I hope that's something that happens. I'm glad that he didn't just take the political line that so many other people are. I'm sure he feels it, and he's in some political trouble himself as the mayor. But listen to this. He's, he says he's been experiencing this as a resident since 1988, a long time ago. Uh, 1988, that, uh, that's, that's the last century. That's a long time ago. And they still have been doing this. And you have to wonder, are people really going to do anything? Now, people are scrambling now. They're putting in some new pump that's supposed to help that they had to rent from somewhere. Is there a store somewhere where cities go to to rent stuff? I guess so. Uh, You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. We're talking about the water problem in Mississippi. But in a bigger sense, we're talking about these kinds of things and how we can't take them for granted and how blessed we are that we even have running water when so much of the world doesn't. Have you thought about that before? How much of the world just doesn't have access to fresh water and what these people are going to experience for a couple of days or what they've been experiencing for 40 years, uh, 35 years at least, 
uh, is significant, but there are hundreds of millions of people every day that have no access to fresh water. 785 million people lack access to clean water at all. That's one in 10 people on the planet. And, you know, I like to, uh, we're not asking for any money today or anything. I just think we should be aware. And we should be aware that 800 children under five years old die from basically diarrhea caused by contaminated water and poor sanitation every single day. That's 33 people an hour. Uh, Every day, 33 kids, not including adults who die of those kinds of things. It's a major world crisis. And it's something that we should not tolerate anywhere. It's something that as human beings, we just cannot tolerate. As Christians, we have an obligation to help people. And we got to at least help people here. You can go to a mission trip here in the United States. We have tremendous poor, you know, we have a lot of poor in Los Angeles and San Diego, and you've probably seen it, but there is significant poverty in different places in the United States, in some of our southern states, in West Virginia, in some different places where it's very much like going to another country as far as the structures that people live in and the kind of care that they have, the infrastructure, how it works. We have this crazy problem. I've been thinking about this because, you know, he, the mayor says 1988. And I wonder how many of our problems, even in our own state, are going to catch up to us one day. What, when is the governor of our state, any governor, going to one day say, hey, we have no water. We're out of electricity. We've been talking about electric problems and water problems since I was a kid in this state. Seems like we always have a drought. You know, I remember as a kid all the time growing up in uh, Palmdale area and my dad talking about the drought and saving water for the... We're always having this and we're always having this discussion. I'm wondering if we're going to do anything about it or if we're going to wait for it all to collapse and for people to suffer. Uh, I hope that's not the case. You know, we, we need to be people who prepare who are ready for these problems, who recognize that these things are coming. And and I'm afraid that we just have political back and forth uh, until it's too late. And then we have this kind of major crisis. It's kind of funny to me that a week ago in California, the plan to have only electric vehicles came out that after 2035, you will not be allowed to sell a new gas-powered vehicle in the state of California. And I think the goal is to have them all eliminated by 2045. I immediately started wondering, how old are my cars? You know, when should I, should I buy a new car? So I try to, I try to run, I tend to run my cars into the ground. Uh, I hate car payments. I just hate it. And uh, if you can get out of having a car payment, you know what? It's totally worth it, by the way. It's not worth having some huge car payment and a fancy car uh, to me in my experience. Plus, you know, when you have a beat up car, an old car, you don't care if somebody crashes into it. You don't care. When I, the last time I bought a brand new car, I would say, I don't know, Christy would remember because she remembers how angry I got. We were downtown and somebody backed into us. And I said something like, I just want to have a nice car for once. I said this out loud. I was so mad. And I thought, you know, how shallow that really is. You know, mostly I was mad that this person crashed into me, but I don't think we'd even made a payment yet on that car. And I was just, and they bashed in the whole front of the car. The great thing about having an old beat up car or a car that maybe it's not beat up, but it's so old, you you just sort of will take it, is that you don't get so upset. Um, In our state, we're being told today that uh, because of the power problem, don't plug in your electric car. And we don't seem to be making a lot of progress on upgrading our grid. We're buying electricity from other states. 
We like to say that our electricity in this state is safe, but, uh, you know, is clean, I mean to say, and it is to a certain extent, but we buy at least 30% of our electricity from other states that isn't necessarily clean. We have a lot of problems coming here. If we're in a place right now where everything is going to be electrified, which I'm not necessarily against that, but you have to have an infrastructure that works. You have to have an infrastructure that actually makes a difference. You have to have politicians and people who get along. You have to have people who are able to find solutions and not just find ways to blame each other. That's why I was liking this uh, mayor of Jackson. He's in political trouble for sure. You know, these kinds of things, at the end of the day, the local people are the ones uh, who are mostly responsible. And politics, you'll blame the federal government or you'll blame the, the state government and stuff, and that's fine. And everybody, everybody's kind of responsible, right? If the government, if the governor is just letting a city uh, crumble, then uh, the governor's responsible. But I like the fact that he didn't play politics in those, co- in those comments today, that he said that we really need to come together and work that we really need to get together and make sure that we have a plan, that we work together in unity, he said. We need more of that. We need all of that uh, comments. You're listening to Southern California Live. The number is 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. 888-528-2557. In a few minutes, we will have Jordan Feliz on the program, Christian music artist Jordan Feliz, and we're looking forward to having him on the line. And uh, it's going to be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to that. 888-528-2557 is the number if you want to call in on this topic. And um, one person is writing in and uh, in our text line, and he says the California aqueduct system and underground wells and river underground, um, what he's saying is he doesn't know why. Uh, we're having this kind of uh, drought right now. They're having to, I'll have to go through and read this. I'm not following exactly what you're saying there. But, you know, there's a lot of controversy and things like that. And that's kind of what I'm getting at, is that we have, we have got to resolve the water problem in our state. We have got to really be open, I think, to some different things. And we've got to resolve the power. If I can get back to the, the missional idea, though, Spiritually speaking, we shouldn't take anything for granted. I think that has to be something that everybody should know, that maybe we're proud of the fact that we are so far advanced that we can even have these discussions, that maybe the biggest irritant is that the power might be out for a little while, or if the water goes out, we'll have it fixed soon, we think. But what if the day is coming where we don't? What if we just can't get along and we don't upgrade the grid and we keep moving forward in certain ways and we just don't have the power? And when we think about this also, so many people around the world today don't have any of this ability to have this conversation. I think that as we develop things here, we need to also be thinking of how to help in other places. Whenever we have the conversation about the border, and it's an important conversation to have about the border, a big piece of it for the church is, regardless of whatever decision ultimately gets made about building a wall or not building a wall or amnesty or all those other subjects that go along with the border, whatever happens, there's a bunch of people that need to be taken care of. I think the solution to the whole thing is that our country ought to invest very heavily in Central American countries as much as we can, probably use some political will to deal with some of the corruption that is there, but to resolve a lot of these issues And the church has a tremendous ability to do this because the church is everywhere. 
the church has a tremendous ability to do this because we have a command from the Lord our God to take care of those people who are poor, to worry about the oppressed and the widowed and the orphaned, to worry about the people who have less. We have the money, we have the technology, we have the ability to make a great impact. And I think in the process, as we think about that, we should not take for granted what we have because we could lose it just as they're losing it in Mississippi. They're going to they're gonna fix that problem. And it's going to cost billions of dollars. If they would have been on top of it, it would have cost less. They're going to fix that problem. But there are other cities who are going to deal with the same thing, maybe right here in Los Angeles, right here in San Diego. Our big cities, what would happen if we just don't have water? What would happen if we just don't have the ability? My friends, don't take it for granted. I've noticed that when I come back from these mission trips, I can't get over carpet. I, the first time I went to El Salvador, I came back and I sat down on my couch. It was still daylight. Christy was out of town. I was just by myself. We hadn't had kids yet. And I sat on the couch just moving my toes in the carpet, and I couldn't believe how blessed I was to have carpet on the floor. And I sat there until it was dark. Pretty soon it was dark in the whole house, and I wasn't. I didn't have TV on. I had nothing, just my thoughts and the Lord and being broken by the fact that I take so many things for granted. Um, Don't take all your stuff for granted. Your carpet, the air conditioning, electric cars, gas-powered cars, all this stuff. We're blessed, but don't take it for granted. Encourage your leaders to work together to solve the problems that we're talking about in our state right now. They're going to get worse the next couple of years. And encourage your church, encourage our government to help people even in other countries. It affects everybody, but we're called to do it whether it does or not, who have so much less. People are dying every day because of these issues. Just some thoughts off the top of my head as I read those stories today. I hope it encourages you uh, to really praise God for what you have, but don't take it for granted. Leverage the things that you've got to help other people. This is Southern California Live. When I get back, we are blessed to have music musician, Christian musician, uh, Jordan Feliz with us, and he will join us as soon as we get back right after the break. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. I'll continue as the Wednesday edition continues. Stay tuned. Too nervous to go live on the radio with Scott Furrow? Then share your thoughts on the SoCal Live voicemail at 213-537-3812. That's 213-537-3812. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody, to Southern California Live. Scott Furrow with you. It's great to be here with you today on this very hot day. My guest is Christian recording artist Jordan Feliz. He will be touring in California in September. He'll be in Southern California in Long Beach on September 13th, Riverside September 15th, and San Diego Oceanside September 18th. Jordan Feliz, welcome to Southern California Live. Man, thank you so much for having me. I'm stoked. Jordan, it's great to have you on our our program, and we're excited that you're coming back to California, your home state. 
Yes, man, I am so excited. Uh, it's it's always just such a joy to come back to California. Um, I just love it so much, man. It's so awesome. I'm so excited. So you grew up up in Clovis, uh, just outside of Fresno, and went to high school there. You met your uh, your wife in high school. Is that correct? Yeah. A uh, little interesting story. We didn't meet technically at the same high school. We did meet in high school. We met on vacation, so we, we uh. dated long distance for five years um but we've been together since we were 15 so man it's been awesome that's been a that's been a long time and that's great it's a great story and uh you know uh, how many uh tell us about your family how many kids you have yeah so we have two uh two children we have a little girl named jolie who's seven and then a little boy named judah who is four and uh it was their first day of school today and we're so excited that they they get to uh to get to do that and they were excited this morning and it's been it's been awesome man yeah now you're living in in nashville now is that right yes yeah we've lived in nashville for about 10 years okay well we're excited to have you back in uh, california and in southern california we have uh, several dates here uh you won't be able to plug in your electric car because we don't have any power but uh it'll be nice Oh man, that's good. It'll be nice yeah, to have hey, you it'll here. Be nice, it'll be good weather. Yeah, it'll be good weather, and uh, that's why we love it. So uh, we can walk; it's fine. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, if every place is walking distance, if you have the time, I've always loved yeah, it. Right, right. So you um, you have these two little kids. I'm wondering, was when you saw the the shutdown in 2020, and you had to stop touring, and everything kind of went on hold for you for a while. How do you see that now? Do you see that as a, was that a burden on your family? Was it really hard or was there a blessing in the midst of all of that? You know, um, the first couple months I think were the scariest for us. Um, just because we started realizing, man, we're like, oh man, like we don't know when this is going to end. And, um, you know, I mean, we're, I'm not in like pop music or country music. It's not like in Christian music, everybody's, you know, making, you know, millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Know? So it's, it's like, you know, you don't really know how long you have. And I mean, we've always kind of had like a, a safety net, you know, <clears throat> savings, but nothing that was like, oh, yeah, let's take two years off from work. Right. Um, but uh, after a couple months, man, we just started seeing God show up in some really cool ways. Um, and it was just super comforting, man. All of a sudden it was like the Lord just started doing things that were just incredible. You know, we've, we've had the Lord just provide for us. Um, and it was just an incredible thing, man. We've just been so blessed to see him working in our lives and not even on a financial, just financial way, but even just in our family and in the hearts of myself and my wife and, and both of our kids. And so, you know, I feel like he really turned a situation that was that was kind of looking a little scary for a season into something where we were really able to to grow together and um, just do some really cool things together. And, and it turned out to be kind of a beautiful situation for us. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I think uh, I asked that question because I think that it's good for us to reflect on uh, surprising and difficult times to see what the Lord has done. You know, for some people, they went through really terrible situations with death and lots of 100%. things, you know, and yep. then, uh, but even in that, there is ways that we are drawn closer to the Lord and he uses this time for us. That's a big part of what worship's about uh, in a way. It's, it's yeah. right. Yep. 
When you, so right. What are you looking forward to the most about uh, this tour coming up? You know, I think the thing that I'm the most excited about is is just that we have we have just prayed into this, you know, so much. Um, we've really built out what I think is the best show, um, the best show that we've ever had, um, and mm. we've put so much time into it. Um, and a lot of the show is really built around just getting people refreshed in the spirit, man, yeah. um, and just getting them to, to feel revived. And um, I think one of the biggest, like, kind of resets for the human heart is just experiencing the joy of the Lord. Yes. And uh, and for me, um, that's what we're really praying to bring, man. We're just praying to bring the joy of the Lord and the elevation of the name of Jesus. And um, it's what we our whole team is all about. And uh, I just can't wait to to have people be able to come in and experience that with us and just be super excited and, and, um, and just worship, man. It's, it's such a gift and, um, we're so pumped about it. You know, I think that, uh, <clears throat> you use the word refreshing and that is how it's going to be feeling to everybody who comes. It'll be a refreshing time. And that is exciting. Something to look forward to. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're calling it the Jesus is coming back tour. Um, and, uh, with your special guest, Jonathan Taylor or trailer, and um, you know that song. Let's let's talk about that song. It's a big hit right now, and I think people attach it to so much thinking right now about end time stuff and all the stuff that yeah. happened in twenty twenty. When was that song actually written? So what's crazy is we wrote that song at the beginning of twenty nineteen, mm. um, and you know the the whole song. The premise of this whole thing was just that. I really started realizing people every time that people talked about um, like Jesus coming back, um, as, like I, I would hear it in sermons all the time. And I'm sure, I mean, you've even probably preached on this and you've heard this other preachers preach on this, but um, there's there, the takeaway a lot of the time is, is actually kind of fear driven. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like, like get your life right. Jesus is coming back kind of thing. You know, it's kind of like kind of how I've, kind of grown up hearing that message taught and I understand it. I get it. Like, you know, you get a couple of seals deep in revelations that you're reading through and you're like, okay, this is a little scary. Yeah. But at the same time, um, it's only scary if you don't know where you're going. Right. And I just feel like one of the things for me is, is it's like, man, I wanted to bring a, a, this new kind of thing to like when people, when, when believers, when we hear this, like this should be a hope. Like our hearts should be filled with hope and joy, man. Like we know exactly that we are, go- we're going into eternity. We're going into a, an eternal life with like the creator of the heavens and the stars. And, you know, for me, like I wanted to kind of change that narrative. I wanted people to realize that this life, was never promised to be easy. And this life was never promised to be like some, you know, cush little fairy tale world, you know, um, this, this was, this is filled with heart. Like if, you know, and I keep saying this because man, I, I, there's parts of me that I'm like, man, you know, I talked to so many believers that have actually never read through the Bible. And I'm like, if you just took the time to do that, you would understand like, the world that Jesus got, you know, dumped into, it was treacherous. You know, there was a lot of people, there's, there's a lot of darkness in the Bible. And 
you know, we're living in a world that is very dark right now. Um, but, you know, there's so much joy in reminding ourselves that, man, Jesus is our end goal. Like, sit, like being in heaven with him is the end goal of our lives. Right. You know, like that we're spending this life preparing for eternity. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that are preparing their lives for death, you know, mm-hmm. and and I'm like, man, like, no, let's let's start thinking about like long term goals here. Um, and, you know, th- this was kind of the first step in that with this song was just reminding people, man, this is a hope. This is a joy for us. And let's sing, ab- sing about that hope because it's infectious when they see us hearts abandoned filled with joy about the thought of Jesus coming back and not the fear, man, I feel like that's the most infectious thing. And I mean, we'll see a lot of people, um, and we already have seen a lot of people come to Christ because of that. Yes, that is such an important message for right now. I wanted to point that out, that this song was written before 2020, and that in your first line in it, uh, as it gets going, is, have you ever thought the world has kind of lost its way? crazy as it seems. Yeah, I know it's going to be okay. It doesn't scare me. It's temporary. I feel like God is preparing this song for what was coming next because there's so much fear and we don't have to be afraid. That's right, man. That's I think, right. And, and I think, honestly, I, I couldn't agree with you more, man. And thank you for saying that. Yeah. And God's using it in this way. Fear is a topic that uh, <laughs> it comes up all the time. There's so many things to be you know, afraid of. And, uh, and that's, you know, turn on the news. Well, everything's fear, fear, fear. And a a pastor friend of mine has this great statement that I enjoy stealing from him. He says that for the Christian, our best days are always in front of us. That's right. And that's because Jesus is coming back. That's because we're going to be with with Jesus. Well, I want to, uh, invite, invite people to uh, go to jordanfeliz.com and check out your tour and your ministry there. And uh, is there anything else before I revisit the, uh, the dates that you'd like to uh, say to your, to your fans, to, to listeners about Jordan Feliz? Man, I think the only thing I'd, I'd love to say is just that, you know, you guys are loved. You guys are cherished by the creator of the universe, and he, he just wants a relationship with you. And the moment that you dive in head to that relationship head first, man, it changes your life. It changes your posture. It changes everything about who you are. And um, I hope that you're able to come out to the show and experience that firsthand and how God has changed my life through the stories of these songs. And also just through the fact that we're going to be able to elevate the name of Jesus and be in the presence of God. And it's going to be so amazing Come out, hang with us. It's going to be an incredible night. All right, everybody. I want to invite you to do that here in Southern California. Jordan Feliz with special guest Jonathan Trailer uh, on the Jesus is Coming Back Tour. They'll be in Long Beach on September 13th, Riverside September 15th, and Oceanside, San Diego, September 18th. And to get tickets, the best way to get tickets is to go to jordanfeliz.com. Click on the tour link. And uh, you can get tickets right there. Jordan, thank you for joining us here on Southern California Live. And uh, thank you for your ministry. And uh, can I pray for you real quick before you go? Of course, man. I'd love it. Yeah, God, thank you for Jordan and for his ministry. We thank you that you have given him a heart for your word and a heart that the people who hear his songs and come to his concerts would not just simply 
uh, be there for the refreshment that is real, but that they would get into the Word of God and know the hope that is real through Jesus Christ, because He indeed is coming back. We thank you for using Jordan. Refresh him, protect his family, be with his kids back in school, their first day right now, be with his wife and all of his travels. In Jesus' name, amen. Jordan, thank you for joining us here today. Thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate it a ton, man. Have a great day, and we'll we'll see you in a couple weeks. Yep, you will. God bless you. Have a great, great afternoon. All right, everybody, you're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. We will be back in just a few moments as the Wednesday edition of SoCal Live continues. You're listening to SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Good to be with you. You can call me and join the conversation. The number is 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. Great to have Jordan Feliz on. He is, uh, you know, when he's talking about his his heart for worship, something that matters so much, you know, when you if you heard him say this, he said, I've talked to so many believers who have never read their Bible. You know, have you read your Bible? Like really as a believer, have you read your Bible? Or if you're if you're listening and you're an agnostic, have you read your Bible? Because you're a lousy agnostic if you haven't read your Bible. <sighs> Somebody I know, he came to Christ because I said that once in a sermon, not because I said that the Lord led him to Christ, but that was the trigger for him to read his Bible. He came up to me afterward. His mom was dragging him to church. We used to say he had a drug problem. His mom drug him to church. He came to church and I said, you're a lousy agnostic if you're not reading your Bible. You're just not really, you know, you can't say you're agnostic if you're not actually looking and if you don't really know what's in there. He read his Bible and he got saved. Uh, For Christians out there, the study is very, very clear that most Christians have not read most of the Bible. Have you actually read your Bible? When Jordan said that in the interview, that that he basically said, look, the reason you don't get it is that you haven't read your Bible. Can I just encourage you to do it? We have so many great tools today about to help you read the Bible. There is, you can go buy them. There's a one-year Bible. There's a two-year Bible. There's a three-year Bible. I don't know how much reading you're going to do if it takes you three years. It shouldn't really take you three years. You know how long it would really take you? It'd take you 90 days. You could read the whole Bible. If you just read for an hour a day, if you decided, I'm not kidding, if you decided that your whatever you're, you're watching on Netflix is not worth it, or if you just wanted to binge, your favorite show doesn't come out, and you'll find a time, an hour a day, if even if you listen to it, the, the, the way that an average person reads, on average, the way that if you were to listen to it, there's audio versions of the Bible that are free that you can listen to, an hour a day, just one hour a day, it'll take you about 90 days, about three months. Think about this for a minute. Before the end of the year, you could have read the entire Bible if you just gave it an hour a day before the end of 2022. Instead of going into 2023 with a New Year's resolution that says, I'm going to read my Bible, and then by January 12th, you have not read any of your Bible and you give up, you could actually go into the year saying, I'm going to read my Bible again, or I'm going to go back to that part of the Bible that I didn't really understand very well and study that. There are you know, for free and Bible apps that you can get on your phone. You can go online and find these different Bible studies. You don't even need to do that. If you just grab a Bible, a regular old Bible, and divide it up, figure out how long it, you know, what an hour is every day. And it's a lot of reading. I'm not going to say that's easy, okay? So maybe you need to give it 45 minutes a day. You know, there's 
there's somebody I know, he read the whole Bible. He was in my church, and we, we did the series called The Bible in 90 Days. And I preached through the whole Bible, and we had people reading it. And most people, they drop off somewhere in Leviticus. If you make it through Leviticus, just start reading Genesis through Revelation. Just read through it. And a lot of people drop off. If you make it through Leviticus, then it's pretty good for a while. Then you get stuck in Ezekiel or something. Keep going. Just you got to push through the parts that you don't understand. If you're going to read it fast, if you're going to just keep reading your Bible quickly, there's going to be parts that you don't understand. Don't get stuck there. Just keep pushing through. You Maybe you take a note. I'm going to come back to this later. You know, I want to study this further later. You're going to have questions. That's fine. The thing is, is that if you just read it like a story and you accept the fact that there are some things that you may not really understand, that there are some parts of the Bible that are, that are hard, they're much harder to sit there and discipline yourself to read through. If you expect that, the payoff eventually comes. The payoff for people who actually sit down and do this is it happens in the New Testament. It happens when they're reading the Gospels, and suddenly the words of Jesus just jump out from the page at them, because you just read that in Isaiah two weeks ago, right? That it's not some big, big memory. Jesus starts quoting that Old Testament over and over and over again, and you start to go, oh, oh, and it makes this incredible connection when you realize the story that is being told. It's the story of human history. That's what the Bible is. From Genesis to Revelations, it's the story, Revelation, I said Revelations, that's like a no-no for any pastor, it's Revelation. From Genesis to Revelation, it is the story of humankind. It is the story of everything. And you you pick it up towards the, the end of the New Testament, where we're really at now, there's some of the Bible to still be fulfilled. And the thing is, is that you'll know what those things are. You'll understand that there's more in the Old Testament about the second coming of Christ than there actually is the first coming of Christ. Did you know that? But you're going to have a much better understanding of what Jesus did his first time and why that is so important. You know, there's a lot of talk today about, and we talked about this with Jordan, that song, Jesus is Coming Back, and our our hope, our hope is there. It matters so much. But we get so into the nitty-gritty of the hows and whens and whys and what this means and everything. I wonder how many believers have a better idea of why Jesus is coming the second time, but they can hardly explain why he came the first time. We got to understand the first time that he came for the salvation of mankind. If you're wondering why there are so many problems in the world, so much distress, so much trouble, it's explained in the Bible. It's all right there. If you are having trouble yourself with a different part in life, um, your hope is in there. If you are just studying what is the difference between good and, and evil, Bible explains all that. And if you're wondering where the justice is, where things work out, the Bible works out that out quite well. All of it works out in the end. I want to encourage you to think about this. And I, I encourage people every year, you know, take three months, read through the Bible, an hour a day. You can start in September, give yourself four months. You, you might get a little sick. You might uh, miss one day. You know, don't get out of the habit. You know, you want to keep the habit going, but you might get a little bit behind. That's fine. Imagine that you've read the Bible in four months, that you get to January 1st and you can say, I have read the whole Bible. That's when you go back and you you study the parts then that you didn't quite understand. The truth is you'll understand most of it. The truth is, is that most of the Bible is not hard to understand. Mark Twain said it. He said that it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that bother me. 
That's kind of funny and and an insightful look. There's going to be parts of the Bible that bother you. Man, I had I've had people come to me and they read these stories, some of them in the Old Testament, and they're like, I really hated that story. <laughs> and you know, I know why you hated that story because it was dark, it was violent. Also because it's true. It's what we see on the news every day today. You read through the Bible and you you understand world history. A good friend of mine did this last year. And he said it changed his entire attitude about the news, that he's reading the Bible every day, and it changed his whole attitude about the news. That now he watches the news and he says, oh, this is why Israel is in the news. Oh, that's why people are acting this way. Oh, that's what this probably means. He's, you, you get a lens for what really is happening, a lens that really matters. And then you have an understanding of what you're called to do and why it is so important that we praise God in our life, why it is so important that we realize that we are loved. That's something that Jordan said, is to remind people that we're loved. We are so lonely. The The suicide rate since the year 2000 has gone up 30%, I read today, in the United States, 30% in the last 20 years. That is, be, there's a lot of reasons for that, but we are, a big part of it is that we are so lonely, and the message that we get in the scriptures is that we are not alone, that one of the greatest things that the creator of the universe wants is the creator of the universe wants to be with you, that the Bible begins with the Lord walking in the garden with his creation, with us, and then the sin happens, and the relationship is broken, and the very first thing that God does is make a plan to bring us back together. And then he resides with his people in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. And then all of that is broken and he leaves. Then he resides with his people as Jesus walked the earth. And then he goes away and he gives us his Holy Spirit. Why? So he can be with us. And the promise is what? Jesus is going to come back. And then what happens? You're with God forever. You get that for free. You get that because you trust God that he means what he says. You trust that Jesus' perfect life counts for you, that your spiritual angst and your spiritual guilt that you carry around, that every culture has carried around, that that was nailed to the cross. And that if you receive the grace of God, if you say, I believe that, and you put your trust, you confess him as Lord in your life, and you follow Jesus, you get everlasting life. You get to be with God. You will never be lonely. The Lord is always with you. That's the story of the Bible. There's so much in there, but I want to encourage you. Don't be afraid of it. Blow past the part that you don't understand. Read it. Come back to it later. You're going to understand so much. You will be so blessed. You know what else happens in your worship time at church? You'll you'll see these songs, and maybe you think some of these songs, they're not all that connected to Scripture. You know, some of them are incredibly well attached to Scripture. It's just that most people haven't read it, so we don't know. Now, there's a few songs, you know, I've got some questions about, but most of what we're singing today and what's the worship that is there, it is right out of the scriptures. And you know that when you've read your Bible. Can I encourage you? Read your Bible. It will change your life. I promise you, you can do it in just a couple of months. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. After the break, we'll come back. We're going to talk about praise a little bit and what that is. 888-528-2557 is the number if you want to call into the show. I'm Scott Furrow. I will be back as the Wednesday edition of SoCal Live continues. Stay tuned. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.